Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Song of Solomon, chapter 5. We'll begin reading with verse 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Actually, we'll read the entire chapter. I would probably assume that the entire chapter is is, um, going to be displayed for us. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. But what we do recognize in the transition from verse 1 to 2 is a very unfortunate uh, transition, and we'll look at that in our sermon as we focus on verses 2 through 16. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Beloved, says in verse 1, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honey cone with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. I sleep. And here the, the bride is speaking. I sleep but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him. But I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. The daughters of Jerusalem reply and ask this question. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? And the bride says again, My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lily dripping, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon 
excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word, and also add his blessing on the exposition of it. One thing we have found so far in a song of songs, which are Solomon's, is the reality of the ups and the downs of relationships, especially a marriage relationship, and here also as it pictures that relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. And what's absolutely amazing through all of these ups and downs and the intimacy of the relationship, one thing does not change. The love of the bridegroom, the commitment of the bridegroom, and the commendation that he has of his bride. It's much like in a marriage, isn't it? Those of you who have had to travel for business or had to be away from your spouse for an extended period of time, you recognize so often that absence makes the heart fonder of the one whom you love. And this is really what's transpiring in this passage that we read, which in some ways comes surprisingly after the beautiful marriage love songs and the sweet fellowship that's enjoyed together in the garden as they tasted and feasted on its fruits. But here we come to a sudden shift in chapter 5, verse 2, where we find the bride having a very troubled evening. And I'd like to look at this with the theme, Christ is altogether lovely to his lovesick bride. And we're going to see, first of all, that she had a troubled night that produced this lovesick desire for her bridegroom. And secondly, this troubled night produced a beautiful confession from this lovesick bride. Christ is altogether lovely to his lovesick bride, but it begins with a troubled night. In this song of songs, the loves and the joys that we have seen already now turn into a very sad scene. Here, the spouse speaks. The bride speaks. And she's not speaking to her beloved bridegroom, for now he is withdrawn. But she's speaking of him. And that's a very marked difference in this Song of Songs. It's a very sad story as she tells of her own folly and her own failures in her love shown to him. Despite all of his kindness and all of his mercy extended to her. And so often this is too real also in our lives as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who sometimes are also careless with the security of Christ and his love for us and shown to us, and therefore he withdraws himself 
from us. The setting here that we find here in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, describes a bride who is asleep. It says, I asleep, but my heart is awake, in verse 2. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. She's sleeping and slumbering, and yet her heart is awake, and, and she hears the voice of her beloved asking to open the door, to welcome his companionship, to welcome him in in an intimate way, and to spend the night in, in love. And yet, she has excuses. In verse 3, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? In other words, there's nothing left to clean up before I getting back into bed. This just isn't the right time. And she makes excuses for not going and opening the door and welcoming him in. I think we should stop here a moment and try to understand what's going on in her heart and in her life. We can know from other examples in Scripture where Jesus is also talking about the kingdom of heaven and his return in Matthew 25, and he gives this example of the parable of the ten virgins. And we recognize that as they were all waiting, all ten of them, they became drowsy and fell asleep. And yet he is coming and they're called to be ready because at midnight the cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out and meet him. Well, we know from the parable that there were five wise who awoke and, and were ready to go and, and, followed the, and went to meet the bridegroom. But then there were also five foolish ones who were not ready to meet the bridegroom. And they were not allowed into the kingdom of heaven. And so we are reminded that we are called to always be ready, ready for communion and fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. We think of other slumbering disciples in the Bible, and we think of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, in verse 40, we, we, we find there that Jesus has come into uh, the, the garden there, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's taken a couple of his closest, a few of his closest disciples along with him, and he asks them, Would you stay here and pray with me for a while? I'll just go a little ways farther. And he comes back to them and he finds them asleep and says to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's going on here with this bride and with these other occurrences in Scripture is the fact that we all need to be shaken up, shook awake from our spiritual lethargy. For indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we should identify a few of those problems that cause our spirit to be willing, but our flesh weak. That even though our heart awakes, we can't get out of our bed in order to open and to have fellowship with our Lord. What are some of these things? Well, the first one I, I think we could probably all identify with is familiarity. Familiarity. And what I'm referring here to is 
is the presumption that we're always just going to have a good relationship and we settle even for a mediocre relationship. We even have that in our marriages, don't we? I don't think if one of us goes to sleep at night really thinking that this might be the very last night we go to sleep with our spouse. I think we all think tomorrow we're going to still be with our families, with our spouses. And in this familiar relationship, we, we might not fully appreciate the rich blessing of marriage and the rich blessing of the intimacy in marriage and the rich blessing then is speaking spiritually of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this familiarity of, of all that he has done in his word and the countless times that we've opened it and read it and, and we've treasured it, yes, we've come to the Lord's table again and again in our life, and yet this sense of familiarity causes us to not appreciate the realness of the moment of each moment with Christ. And it produces in us a a type of self-centeredness. Yes, that's important, and that's an important part of my life, but I also have parts of my life that are important, and I I don't want to give them all up, maybe. Maybe that's also in way of marriage intimacy, as you as you go to go to bed and you think, oh, I'm tired, I've had a long day, or you get home from work and you just want to veg and you just want to, you just want to sit back and enjoy something. You don't want to engage with your spouse or your family. You just need some time alone. And we don't appreciate the fellowship that we have. Maybe it's also in fellowship within the church. We don't appreciate the gifts that we have of the fellowship and the encouragement of the saints together. Other times, our hearts might even become divided. We might have other desires. We might have other idols that need to be stripped from us. Things that cause us to have a... uh, Things that take away our undivided attention to the one in whom we love. Whatever those things are that causes this spiritual lethargy, we recognize in this bride that her heart is awake and she's hearing his words and her conscience is pricking her and convicting her of her drowsiness and her slumber and her indifference, but she just can't peel herself off the bed and she begins to make excuses why she can't go to the door and nothing is changing. And finally... Christ puts his hand into the locket of the door and leaves a token of his love. Despite her spiritual lethargy and her drowsiness, Christ comes with a token of his love through even his affectionate language, doesn't he? As he's waiting there, imagine this picture. Christ is outside her door. He's waiting there and waiting there. The the dew is beginning to drip off his hair. He's been waiting there so long, knocking, open for me. And he's calling her all kinds of love 
love names, my sister, my spouse, my dove, my perfect one, open unto me. What affection. And he's patiently waiting there all, almost most of the night. And even before he leaves, he presses into the latchet of the door and he leaves a token of his love, his sacrifice for her on the door handles. This is the one who could have broken down her door and come in. But that's not what he wants to do. He wants her to see him in all of his sufficiency, in his love, and to open unto him because of the conviction of her heart and the desire to have communion with him. And and there, her heart begins to stir even more. And finally, she must arise. And she arose, and she goes to the door. And as her hands slip onto the door handles, they begin to run down, and off her fingers drip the myrrh that Christ has left for her. And there she knows that her beloved was there for her and presented the best gift that anyone could have ever given her of his own sacrifice and his love for her. And she wants to open up the door. And she does open up the door. And she looks. And he's gone. Gone. Should I just go back to bed? No. She's devastated. Completely devastated. Her beloved is gone. Will he ever return? And so she, she does not go back to bed. No, she very likely maybe even takes a veil of some sort because the keepers of the wall took her veil away. She takes a veil, puts it over her, and goes through the streets early in the morning before the sun even comes up. It's yet night, and the watchmen find her going through the streets in verse 7, thinking she's a night worker or a prostitute, and they deal with her harshly. When they found her, they struck me. They wounded me, says the Shulamite. The watchmen were much like Eli here. When Hannah came into the temple, pouring out her soul unto the Lord, and Eli accuses her of being drunk. But not only the watchmen who who really abuse her, it's, it's the keepers of the walls. They look at her and they, they take her veil away from her. And now here she's standing in the middle of the street and she's pleading with them, asking if they've seen their beloved and she's getting beaten and crushed down by these men. And you can imagine the stir that this is causing and the daughters of Jerusalem are coming out of their doors and there's a crowd gathering round and she cries out to the daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him I am lovesick. That's what's going on. He's been at my door and I missed him and now he's gone and now I'm lovesick. I'm not a prostitute. The very fact is, I can't live without him. 
She's lovesick. She realizes that if she doesn't have the Lord Jesus Christ, she will perish. And she has no hope in herself. She has nothing. She has, she has nowhere else to find fellowship and communion as she does with her Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's lovesick. But the daughters of Jerusalem, they want to ask her, why are you so lovesick? And that's what we see in our second point is this lovesick bride. It produces a a beautiful confession. Christ is altogether lovely. But let's think about what these daughters of Jerusalem are asking her. Verse 9, What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? As a matter of fact, what are they really asking here? Are there not other beloveds? Why, why are you concerned about this beloved? It's like telling someone who just had a breakup in their relationship that there's more fish in the sea. Like, you can get over this. And yet that might be a little bit harsh on these daughters of Jerusalem because it might be that they just do have real care and compassion for their friend. And maybe they're asking the question because they want her just to open up and talk about the one in whom she's loved and the one for whom she's lovesick. Just maybe some talk therapy. Or maybe maybe they do want to see some marks of him to know why she is so lovesick. Whatever the situation is, what this produces is a beautiful confession from the bride. As she begins to describe his physical characteristic, she says, My beloved is white and ruddy, the chief among 10,000. Well, you can understand why the watchmen were confused, and maybe the keepers of the walls, and maybe even the daughters of Jerusalem. Maybe they didn't know the bridegroom like she knew him. And maybe Isaiah 53 comes in here where we recognize he has no form or comeliness when we see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He's despised, and we did not esteem him. And yet, to those who believe, Yet to this Shulamite woman, this bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is altogether lovely. He is the one who is the Word who had become flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. But you say, maybe, Pastor, we, we haven't seen him in the flesh as the disciples did, as John did. Well, 1 Peter 1 then, verse 8, Him whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's no wonder this bride had to say, He's altogether lovely. Let's look at this description just a little closer. We don't have time to go into every point, but... Let's look at this description. 
He's white and ruddy. The colors that make up the complete beauty of something. It's an extraordinary beauty. White and glory as the divine one. And yet ruddy and red as one who is real man of this earth. And what does she confess about him? He's the chief among 10,000. There's none like him. You could set 10,000 before me and he would be the chief among 10,000. There's no one compared to him. Just like Paul would say, I will consider everything as loss to gain the excellency of Christ. For he is the chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. The richest treasure, a royal treasure. He's really speaking here, uh, she's really speaking here of, of his sovereign dominion over all as the head of the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. We think about. Solomon 1, that she's pictured as black as the tents of Kedar, but there she's black because she's weathered and has blemishes. But this bridegroom has black as a raven in its natural beauty. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water washed with milk and fitly set. His eyes are pure. His eyes are kind His eyes are ever upon me. His cheeks, his cheeks in verse 13, are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. They're beautiful. They're wealthy. They're they're alive and fruitful. His lips are like lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His lips are sweet to kiss. His lips are communicating grace to me. His lips are dripping with that myrrh of His sacrifice and His love and His mercy extended to me. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His, the, the, the men with great hands in those days would have hands that could put on all the golden rings on their fingers with diamonds and precious stones. But, but his hands themselves were like golden rings. The works of his hands is all powerful and is full of riches and grace in his providential dealings of grace with her. His body The very main part of his body, including his vital organs, which is referred to often as the affections and the compassion of someone. His affections and his compassion and his love is strong and firm. It's carved like ivory, inlaid with sapphires, bright and sparkly. There's an inestimable valuableness to her bridegroom. His legs are like pillars of marble. They're strong. His countenance is is, um, like Lebanon, 
excellent as a cedars. It's pleasant and beautiful and charming. And his mouth, oh, his mouth is most sweet. The words that proceed from his mouth are milk for the babes, as sweet as the honey in the honeycomb, giving us his word. What's the bride saying here? In his person as the very God-man who is white in his glory as God and Rudy in his presence as a man. The God-man has come together in perfection and in purity and in strength and in compassion and love to do his work for me. He comes as a God-man mediator the one who has come to give his life and to communicate that sacrifice to me through the words of his mouth, through his lips of grace and of love. And she says, words can't describe it. Words cannot describe my beloved. For yes, he is altogether lovely. Altogether lovely. If words could have described her bridegroom, her beloved one, she would have added more to it. But she describes him in his person, in his character, in his work. And she says he's the chief among 10,000. He's altogether lovely. No one else will do. There's no more fish in the sea. There's no one else I'd rather have. Give me Jesus, else I die. For he is my beloved, and he is my friend. Today we are humbled through what our Lord has done in communicating His grace to us through His Word and demonstrating it to us through the Lord's Supper. And maybe you feel a little bit like I do as a pastor. How in the world do you describe someone who is altogether lovely? But I trust what we experience and what we find as we read the promises of God's Word and we see what He's done for us and we know Him in His person, in His character, how He's so tender with us, how He's so patient with us, how he's so loving toward us. We have to also confess with the bride, he is altogether lovely. Those so many times the troubled night comes because of my separation from him and because of my weakness and because of my lack of desires or whatever they be. 
despite that all. I confess that I'm not what I should be. But I confess that I'm not what I once was because my heart awakes and my desire awakes within me and I need him. And I cry out, tell my beloved I am lovesick and I cannot live without him because he is altogether lovely and he is my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, you might have friends Maybe they're in the congregation. Maybe they're outside the congregation. Good friends. Good friends that you can talk to and share things with. And you know they won't tell anyone else. They won't ever hold it against you. And here the bride says, and he is my friend. A friend who will hear me. A friend who cares for me. A friend who does not hold things against me. A friend who even died for me that I might be with him forever. He is my beloved and he is my friend. Will that be our confession as we leave this place? As we engage in the world. And when people talk about us or look at us and think about us and see us, that they would know something of this lovesickness for our Savior and a confession that indeed nothing compares to the one whom I love, for he is altogether lovely. Amen. O Lord, we gather at the end of our service in prayer with humility and before you, knowing that the state of our lives and the state of our heart are so often like the reality of this bride here in Song of Solomon 5. And we praise you and thank you for your patience, your love, and your mercy extended to us. And even those times where you withdraw your presence from us to draw out our love for you and our desire for you, causing us to become lovesick for you. May the confession of our lips be one that is paralleled with the bride's confession that you are the chief among 10,000 and you are altogether lovely. And may your name be glorified in it all. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.